If you have your Bibles, open with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Last week I previewed this sermon saying that we, we are taking a break from our usual series in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're gonna look at a passage in the Gospel of John. The verses will be verse 20 through 26. So I'll give you a second to turn there or to open the Bible on your devices. And if you would, once you get there, put your finger on that page or have your device open. If you would, let's just close our eyes and just become still in the presence of God who's about to speak to us through his word. Whatever you came into this building or the parking lot or the laptop at your home right now with, whatever you've been thinking about on Saturday, Friday, whatever's on your mind about Monday or Tuesday, I want you to remember the words of James. The Tomorrow's troubles will come tomorrow. Right now we're in the presence of the living God. Take a couple deep breaths. Receive this time in the presence of Jesus as a gift. Now the words of John, starting at verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Title of my sermon today is Colonels, Churches, and a Post-Pandemic Reality. Pun intended. And I want to start, no introduction, no light uh, chatter at the beginning, just by jumping immediately into one of the most endearing lines that I think I've ever read in the scriptures. This phrase by this unnamed Greek, or the Greeks. So they came to Philip during the worship at the feast, these Greeks from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, listen to this line, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I've known of pastors and preachers that have etched this on their pulpits to remind them. Don't give people too many opinions. Don't spend too much time on your pet theories. Imagine them in the audience, in the crowd, in the seats, asking, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. Ma'am, we wish to see Jesus. What a beautiful and difficult desire. 
When I look out on our church, I see that same desire. You might not even be able to articulate it, maybe, like the Greeks. Maybe those aren't the words that you would have articulated, but in some sense, there is that longing, right? I think most of us are here in this room outside by that white suburban, at home, looking uh, on a laptop. Most of us are here for some reason, a deep longing for something else. I don't think you're here for entertainment. There's plenty of better places you can go to in Santa Barbara for entertainment. In fact, most of the things on the outside, you could probably find better ways of finding that than here. Most of the people here, I think, judging from conversations from the last nine years, has been a deep hunger and longing for something that transcends those other things. You might not be able to articulate it. Maybe you wouldn't up until this point articulate it in the same phrase but for most of us, we're tired, we're longing, we're searching, we're seeking, we're hungry. And at the bottom of all of that hunger is a simple desire, sir, I wish to see Jesus. That's been my desire since day one. That's been your desire. That's been the collective heartbeat of reality. We get the name reality from a verse in Colossians chapter two that says, yeah, the Sabbath moon, festivals, all of those practices are great, but they're just a shell of what's real. The substance, or I like the way the NIV translates it, the reality is Jesus Christ. So whether it's us individually or us corporately, I think there's this unique, unifying thing in our midst in which we would say, in one way or another, we want something real, we want something deep, and we want something that has to do with Jesus. And this was the Greek's desire, a beautiful desire. But it's also a difficult desire, isn't it? It's so simple to say, I want more of Jesus. It's so hard to do sometimes. And we see that difficulty here in this passage. Like, I couldn't help but laugh just a little bit to myself. After reading verse 20 and 21, this enlightening, powerful request from these Greeks in the middle of a religious festival in Jerusalem, I think it is. Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. And the next line, it says, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And we never hear about the Greeks after that. I don't know what happened, but my mind is like making that stuff up as we go. I'm like, what happened to the Greeks? Like, I, I don't know if John is just like leaving out the backstory, but what I'm telling myself is like, wow, Philip was so stunned by the question. He just like bounced. He's like, all right, let me go ask Jesus. Now, I don't know if John leaves out the details. Maybe they went back and relayed the information that Jesus gave them. Maybe they took them with them. It doesn't sound like they did. All we know is these Greeks have this powerful, beautiful desire to meet somebody with substance. And Philip doesn't seem to know how to answer their question. And so he goes and asks Andrew. And Andrew and Philip both together go to Jesus. Do they just leave the Greeks hanging? 
with one of the most profound questions that, that's been asked by humanity? And are the Greeks just standing there, like I would, asking, well, now what? I just had this profound, enlightened question that I'd really like to be answered. I know what I'm here for. I'm here for Jesus, but now what? I don't know what happened in that scene, and I can't really read between the lines, but here's what we can take away from this. I think most of us here, on some level, really want to encounter the real Jesus. We've been in the world long enough. We've experienced what the world has to offer. We've dabbled in it. And during the pandemic, we've seen other sides that the world has had to offer. We're here because we're looking for something deeper. We all want to encounter this Jesus, just as they did thousands of years ago. But it's what to do about that that remains confusing for so many of us. You might be asking similar questions that I imagine and speculate the Greeks might have been asking as well. Like, am I growing? Been doing this church thing for a decade. Am I growing? You might even be saying, well, I was growing at the beginning, but am I really growing now? I'm doing all the same things that I was doing eight years ago, but something stopped. Am I doing something wrong? Some of you might be asking, is this checklist, this spiritual and religious checklist I've assembled with such zeal working? Is it changing my life as I dot the spiritual I's and cross the religious T's? Some of you might be way past that question. You're like, the checklist is not working. Some of you are in a different spot. You're like, I can't possibly fathom how to add anything else to my spiritual checklist. My life is busy. My soul is tired. It was all I could do to show up today at some building on down, in downtown State Street much less add more behavior modification and activity and social religious stuff. Like. And then some of you, maybe you're in a different spot where you just don't know anything specific other than to say something is just not quite right. I want you to notice here in the text that it's not just the Greeks who were searching for Jesus, but they asked Philip, and Philip didn't seem to know what to say to him. He went looking for Andrew, and he and Andrew went looking for Jesus. It's not just the Greeks out in the world, it's the people inside the building. We're all asking the same question. I want something real. And we think it might have to do with this Jesus person. We've read enough about him. We've heard enough about him. We've discovered some of the rumors about him, and they're enticing and compelling and attractive and alluring. But it's the next step that's so confusing for some of us. What do we do? We just go back to doing what we've always done? And after Andrew and Philip asked Jesus, Jesus does that thing where he gives them the answer nobody has been asking for. They asked a question, Jesus 
gives a completely different answer to a question they weren't even asking. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, verse 22 and 23. In other words, against the backdrop of a beautiful and difficult desire that we have, we want change, we want transformation, we want something real, we want our hunger to be satiated, we want Jesus against the backdrop of a beautiful and difficult desire, something is about to change. Jesus says, the hour has come for me to be glorified. Now this verse can be taken in two ways. There's two angles to it. One is it's directly about Jesus. This is language he often uses to refer to his death. The whole book of John, the whole gospel of John is making a beeline to Jesus' death. In fact, the over half of the gospel of John is just about his death. John doesn't talk too much about his birth, skips out most of his childhood, picks it up when he's 30, and then just jets through those three years to get to the cross. This is all about his death and his resurrection. And Jesus tells his disciples who are saying, what's next? How do we answer this question? How can the Greeks see you? How can we see you and experience you and encounter you? Jesus' answer is, something is changing. Now for him, that means I'm about to die. And I want you to imagine the shock that this would have had on the early disciples. These were religious zealots, These were people with a plan, people who wanted to make something of their lives and move forward, uh, perhaps outside of the iron fist of the empire, Rome, and they thought Jesus was the ticket out of that. And so for them, most of them were hoping for Jesus to come out with a big sword and slay their enemies. So imagine the shock when their king and Messiah says, I came here to die, and it's coming real soon. In fact, the hour is now. And then he compares himself to a colonel that dies. Something is changing. Imagine the sense of the disciples in that moment. This is not what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. And maybe you don't have to Imagine what it was like for them because some of you feel that way already. I think this has implications for us because something is changing for us as well. Something has been changing. The reason I call this sermon the Colonel's Churches in a Post-Pandemic Reality is because for many of us, it's been very confusing The pandemic has necessitated and represented massive change in our families, in our relationships, in our workplace, in society, but also in our church, right? Last week, I said, hey, everybody, I'm going to preach on this because church is like not the same anymore, right? It was a rhetorical question, and you guys roared with life. I've been trying to get preaching call and responses for a decade. And that was the loudest one I ever got. 
I couldn't even get people to roar when I announced free tri-tip at Tucker's Grove two years ago. And it was in that moment I realized things are different. And even though for Jesus, he was speaking literally about his death, change feels a little bit like death. Because change at its fundamental level is the loss of something, right? Our expectations, our desires, our ambitions, our checklists, our boxes that we keep everything neat and tidy in. Change is a form of loss, and therefore it's often something to grieve. And for some of us, the pandemic has altered what we used to expect in the life of our church. And there's different reactions to that, right? For some of us, it's a reaction of resistance. No! Like, look out on the landscape. Not just our church, but every church there is trying hard to go back to what church looked like in 2019, and look, we made it. We're in a building. After being in a tent in the evening and online and like all of this stuff, and we're like, yeah, we made it. We've got the preaching back and we've got all of those things and yet we're still saying something's wrong. Or maybe not necessarily wrong, just something has deeply changed. And some of us are resisting that. We don't want change. We want to go back to the way things used to be, whatever that might look like for you. And others are not resisting. We're restless. In other words, there was already something kindling in us in 2017, 2018, 2019. But in the aftermath of everything we've been through in the last year and a half, that has turned into a restlessness. And we're saying there's got to be more to this Jesus thing, then business as usual, going through the motions. So some of us are resisting change, others are restless because of the change, but all of us across the spectrum seem to be tired and worn out. And the question I want to pose to my brothers and sisters today is it as painful and as difficult as this is? What if there's a hidden blessing hiding in this cultural moment? The thing that so many of us want to escape and move past and move beyond. For some of us, it's by going back to the way things were. For others, it's by leaving entirely. And maybe for another group, it's Asking this, those questions of, this has got to be something better. What if there's a hidden blessing in this difficult cultural moment? This is what Jesus seems to allude to in verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of the strongest affirming statements a rabbi could have uttered, truly, I, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Now he's speaking to a, an agrarian culture. They would have been very familiar with dirt and seeds. Maybe some of us are as well. I remember my kid wanting to plant a pumpkin seed, and we had to take the seed after October from a ripe 
a pumpkin and set it out in the sun and allow it to dry up and die before we planted it. And out of that came a, just a monster, really. Beautiful plant growth. Jesus is using this analogy and comparing it to our lives following Jesus saying, unless it dies, unless, and read into that, unless something changes, and there are gonna be seasons and cycles and times in our life where radical change is needed, and some of us will want to resist it, some of us will run away from it, some of us will become cynical, and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this ain't always a bad thing. Unless something changes, there will be no growth. In other words, sometimes a death has to happen. Sometimes change has to happen in our spiritual life and in our relational life. If it doesn't, Jesus is saying, there's no new growth. Now, he's not just talking about his own death. In the next few verses, he applies it to his disciples. Who go on to say, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever clings to what they were expecting and what they knew, the, uh, they're, they're just, the opposite is going to happen. He's now applying this principle to our lives, saying sometimes change has to happen with us as well, not just me. And this is the great paradox of the gospel. Death precedes a resurrection. Before Jesus rose from the dead and flooded the world with light and power and glory and the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit, he first had to go into the ground, first had to die on the cross. So many parallels to that with our lives. Often God's greatest moves happen in the midst of turbulent change and crisis. And aren't we in one? I love that verse in Job chapter 42, verse 5, where after dozens of passages of Job losing unimaginable loss and grief, instead of running from it, he pressed into it with his face towards God. And at the end of that book, he says in Job chapter 42, verse 5, you know, I used to hear about you, God, by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Sometimes the answer that the Greeks were asking is only possible through radical change, seasons of tumultuous change, and even crisis. So I want you to reflect on that. In the last year, what's changed for you? You might not even realize how much change has occurred in such a short amount of time. So I want you to take an inventory. What is it? Maybe it's marital difficulties. Maybe it's a family member in jail. Maybe it's taking on a loan for a business or a house. Maybe it's a major relocation. Maybe you moved. Maybe it's a change in friendships, a loss of a friendship. Maybe it's a major illness with you, with a family member, with a friend. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe you retired from work. Maybe you have some troubles with the in-laws. Maybe it's an outstanding personal achievement that's causing you to think of things you never thought of before. 
Maybe you graduated. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe you're gaining a new family member. Maybe you've experienced a major business readjustment. Maybe there's been a major change in your financial state. Maybe you're changing careers. Maybe you took on a mortgage. Maybe you had a major change in responsibilities at work. Maybe a son or daughter is leaving home. Maybe a son or daughter is coming back home. (laughs) There's so many things. When we're in that zone, we forget. There's a lot of change that's happened. Now, I don't just want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the changes that involve your church. Let's just be real. Things aren't the same as they used to be. Church is not what it used to be. For some, that just means a loss of permanence. We used to be at the high school, and now we're in State Street. For some, there's been a change in the amount of your activity at church. You're in a different place. You've changed. For others, something is not being offered that you used to really need. For still others, maybe your friends have switched churches. You used to all go to the same church, and now your friend groups are scattered all over Santa Barbara. For some, your friends are still here, but your relationships have grown very polarizing. Can't even talk about things you used to talk about. Now you talk about politics and vaccines and masks, and it's like a volcano goes off. Maybe there's a lack of spiritual growth, and you're wondering what happened. Maybe there's a lack of connection. You can't seem to connect with people, and the list goes on and on. I want us to face those changes and not run from them. And to remember that it's not, these, these changes are not necessarily good or bad by themselves. They might be one or the other or none at all. It's just simply that they're changes. And changes can feel like a death, right? It can feel like we lost something. And our natural tendency is to avoid death and to avoid change. If you've lived long enough, you know, that's not only a fool's errand because none of us can escape change. But Jesus actually goes a step farther and says, unless that happens, there can be no life. Meaning there will be changes in your life that God must use to bring you deeper. I know for me, for many of us, the pandemic has felt in so many ways like a death. Not just the literal deaths that have happened, but figuratively speaking, death in the sense that it's changed so much of what we held dear, so much of what we clung to, so much of what marked our spirituality, what made us in our minds and hearts to think of what a church is supposed to be. And I want to ask you two questions with that. One is, have you had a proper chance to mourn? Or have you just been speeding along trying to make things happen? Have you ever just stopped in the presence of God, maybe even with a buddy, to just face the real loss You know, over a third of the Psalms are laments? Because as a proper channel 
to express who we are in God, God gave us outlets. Almost a th- over a third of the Psalms, the worship hymn book of Israel, he gave it to us to express the real grief and loss and deaths that we experience on a regular basis. Why? Because it's healthy. And two, because when we don't, we'll leak that grief on everybody around us. In other words, the lament will come, either in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. Have you ever just had the space to grieve? To say with the story of the kingdom of God, there are certain things in the world that are just not right. I grieve over this. Come, Lord Jesus. That's my first question. My second question is, after grieving, are you open to God in the midst of what's been changing and not outside of it? Would you be willing to say, God, I did not expect half the things that are happening right now, but I trust you. Where are we going? Jesus would go on to say at the end of verse 24, but if it dies, if that kernel dies, it bears much fruit. He's not even giving us an option. He's telling us there's certain things in life, like my life, Jesus would say, and your life, and the way we do life together. There's certain things that will have to change periodically for new life to come. And that change will be disruptive. It will be painful. It'll feel like a death. But are you willing to embrace it with me? Because if you are, that's where real fruit is going to come. I really believe on the heels of what we've been through for a year and a half that there are certain things that God wants to do in you, and not just in you individually, but in us that can only happen if something changes. I don't even know what that is. I don't have a three-point application here for you. I just know we seem to be on the precipice of something that we've never encountered before as a church. And perhaps it's time for some old wineskins to burst. I also want to put before us that there is an opportunity. There must be an opportunity because that's how God works, amen? He never sets in front of us a death. He sets in front of us a death that leads to a resurrection. And I want to now in my closing minutes to focus in on our church, not just the personal changes that we've gone through, which are real and are a part of our community together, but I also want to hone in on our church. The pandemic has stripped away a lot of good things. Can we just be honest about that? Our sense of real connection with each other, it's done a number on that. Even little things that churches used to judge whether they were being successful or not, like attendance, it's done a number on that. Let's just be honest. The ease by which we did things like church, it's gone. It's hard. It's tiring for a lot of people. Let's just be honest about that. 
But let's also be honest with the fact that it's, the pandemic has stripped away a lot of bad things too. The crutches of Christian culture that are not really Jesus, but that hold us up and prop up our idols with enough, uh, enough Christian vernacular and spiritual language to make us feel good about the crutches that we have. Depending on others to feed us, putting all of our hope in a building, hoping that someone else will meet our social needs, even becoming the, pr uh, hoping that the church will become the primary disciplers of our children. And the list goes on and on and on, and I got a mess of them, I'll be the first to admit it. Born into the church, still in the church, I got a mess load of cultural Christianity, and half of it I don't even know is there. If I did, I would get rid of it. Stuff that's so ingrained into who I am until 2020, when I began asking that question, sir, I wanna see Jesus. Perhaps you're asking that question too. For those to whom church was a hobby, I was having this conversation with a friend a while ago, a few friends, in places like Boston and San Francisco and New York City where there's such a gnarly hustle. There might not be a lot of Christians in town, but the ones who are there are like your lifeline. And church is a lifeline in the big city. It's like, like if you don't have it, you die. In Santa Barbara, there's not a lot in comparison to big cities that really lights a fire under our rear ends, is there? It's a nice place. The only thing we tend to complain about is the cost of living. And so in Santa Barbara, unlike almost any other big city, church is a hobby. Can we just say that today? Church is a hobby. It's not here to save our lives. It's something we've added to our other list of hobbies because in Santa Barbara, the worst thing that we've faced up until 2020 is that we've got too many hobbies and not enough time to spend on them. And then the pandemic hit, stripping us naked and forcing us to say, there must be more. So for those to whom church was a hobby, some of them realized, I don't need this anymore. I've lived six months without it. And to others who've quietly been longing for more but going through the motion, they've realized, I don't want to go back to business as usual. I want to see Jesus. Whatever it is, there's something brewing and something growing and something changing. And for some of us, it feels like it's a crisis and we're clinging to the old. One author puts it this way, he says, renewals in the church always seem to follow a crisis, meaning that even though crises are terrible, we remember the words of God in Genesis that he used what the enemy meant for evil for the saving of many. And so, yeah, there is a crisis, but is God in the crisis? 
I think he is. And we are in a spiritual and cultural crisis of magnificent proportions. I have never seen anything like this in all of my life in the church. And our natural tendency might be to fear or react or go back to the way things used to be, but I have to believe that the spirit of the living God is trying to get some people's attention. And some of us won't want it. That's okay. He'll keep knocking on the door of your heart. But some of you will. It's time to open that door. Because some of you are sitting in a boat in the middle of a storm and you've got your head down because the storm is around you grabbing onto the boat for dear life. The boat represents all the things that you were comfortable with and used to and structures of your expectations, the things that make you safe, the things that have formed your Christianity and you're holding on to it for dear life. And the storm's rocking the boat. And now you're saying crazy things like, I just gotta fix the boat. I'll patch it up. I see holes, but I'll patch it up. I got my shoe goo. I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm gonna reinforce the boat. I got some, I took some welding in Santa Barbara City. I'm just gonna weld some handles with some great Christian, like a dove and a cross too, you know? Just handles to the boat because it's all about the boat. You got your head down, there's a storm around you, so much happening, and you're hanging on to the, dear, the boat for dear life, saying it's all about the boat, it's all about the boat, it's all about the boat, it's all about the boat. And out of the darkness appears the Messiah. He cuts through the darkness and the clouds, and he walks straight at you with compassion in his heart, and boldness in his eyes, and a fire in his soul, and he extends his hand to anyone who listens, and he says, my brother, my sister, it's not about the boat. He grabs you by your weary hand, and he pulls you out of the boat as the boat sinks, and you find yourself walking on water with the king. And that king says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. For where I am, there will be my servant also. Jesus is saying, whatever's true of me is true of you too, church. Whoever clings to old expectations to preserve their life will miss out on what God is doing. And my humble invitation to you and to me today and for the rest of our, our journey together is don't miss out on what God is doing in this cultural moment. Moments like this don't come around all the time. Remember when the last one was? 9-11. 20 years ago in two months. 20 years ago. There's a shift taking place in the post-pandemic church and it's difficult, but what if there's also a blessing in disguise? What if it's exactly what the church in America needs? What if it's exactly what reality Santa Barbara needs? What if this is exactly what you need to deepen your relationship with God and with his beloved church?
I'm going to ask Joseph and Robert to come up here as we respond in song. But as we do, we usually have like three application points for you. Do this, 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 and this. But not today. Well, I kind of do. But this time, it's just to listen. Can we just listen? Listen together to what God would do in our midst as a church going forward and not backwards. In fact, I want to give us a real space to do that. And I want to invite you in two weeks, on August 8th, on a Sunday, after church, between 4 o'clock and 6, right here. For anyone who calls this church their home to come in a spirit of prayer, to listen to what the Spirit would say to the church for the, for the next stage in our life. We're going to call this a post-pandemic reality check. And it's just a time for us to listen. And I'm excited about this time. This, this is something completely new. Like, we've never done anything like this. this. If you go onto the website and look up my face, like, my job is the pastor of preaching and vision. Like, it's literally my job to go into a cave and listen to the Lord so that we can move forward. We've never done this before. We're going to intensify and expand the amplification of that sounding board as a body to say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in our church? Where would you lead us? And I want to invite you to that. hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Now, this isn't a town hall. It's not a voting session. It's not therapy. It's not a place to complain. It will be a place to listen and to voice and to pray for what's next for our church and to say so. And so that's in two weeks. Save the date. But right now, let's just practice it together. Listen together to what the Spirit would say to the church. We can start right now. I went a couple minutes longer and but I, I really don't want to slow our singing down. So if you've got to go somewhere after this, you're more than welcome to. But if you want to stay, let's just stay for 15 minutes and settle down into a posture of prayer and listening and to say, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? And may God's will be done in his church as it is in heaven.